Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in on our weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers as ways for you to stay connected to the life of our community, to enrich your faith, and hopefully to help you in some way as you begin your week and go through your week. You can go to collegehills.org to find out more about us and our online and on-campus gatherings. Again, that's collegehills.org. Today we're going to be starting a new summer series that we are calling A Summer of Sin, Seven Ways to Ruin and Redeem Your Life. Hopefully the title caught your attention. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at this topic of sin from a few different angles, and I hope that it will be helpful in some way. I think it's timely and important for us to discuss, especially with our topic that we're going to be discussing today. And to start things off, I want to look at a passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and this will be our guiding passage for today to lay down kind of a framework or some groundwork for what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. Again, Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this new week. We are grateful for all the many gifts that you have given us in Christ Jesus. And as we begin a new series today and begin talking about this weighty but important topic, I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would speak through me words that are faithful to who you are and to who you're calling us to be as your people. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, transform them, renew them, and redeem them by the power of your Spirit so that we can live faithful lives in the world. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last summer, I had the opportunity to co-teach a preaching class at a local university with one of my friends, and it was good for me to 
teach this preaching class because it was a chance for me to revisit a book that I used in my very first preaching class many, many years ago. It's kind of a standard text for anyone who is learning to grow in the craft of preaching. I pulled out my old book that I had used in college, and it was fun to flip through it to see what I highlighted and underlined from so many years ago. One of the things that we're trying to do in the way that we talk about preaching in this class is to think of it as a muscle that you develop and grow so that it can get stronger and better over time. And one of the muscles that we try to develop in the students who are learning to preach is different things that they need to listen to as a preacher. We talk about listening to the text, listening to the Bible. We talk about listening to the world around us, current events, what's happening in the news. And then the third place that we encourage our students to listen is to listen to the congregation. Pay attention and think about what's going on in the lives of the congregation so that the words that you speak from Scripture might intersect the real lives of the people that you spend time with on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And I couldn't help but think of that preaching principle as I reflected on this text that we're looking at today. Because it reminded me of a story of something that happened to me several years ago that I've thought about often and I've come back to time and time again. Several years ago, I was teaching a Wednesday night class at another congregation and had opened up the class to some discussion to hear what the class was thinking. I don't remember the specifics of what we were talking about that night, but I do remember a woman who was sitting in the back who raised her hand and began to speak about some faith experiences that she had had. And the reason why I remember her is because I remember seeing the tears begin to well up in her eyes as she talked about how she used to go to church and the place where she used to go to church and the preacher who preached at that church. And the reason why she was so upset was because she talked about how every time she left that church, that preacher made her think that she was going to hell. And so every week, she would hear him talk about different people going to hell because of what they did or what they didn't do. And she said it was a hard experience for her while she attended that congregation because the more that he talked about that week in and week out, the less she believed that she could receive forgiveness. Because, as this woman would go on to say, She had done some things that she was not proud of. She had committed some sins that she did not like to remember. And she struggled to believe that she could be forgiven. I remember her stopping from this self-reflection, this self-revelation that a lot of people in the room didn't know. And I remember her saying, what would you say? to that preacher. 
And I laugh because my first thought that I had was probably not the nicest thing that I would want to say to that preacher. But the second thing that I thought of that I would like to say was not directed at the preacher, but it was actually directed at this woman who spoke up, who had the courage to confess this struggle that she had always had, this struggle to believe that she could be forgiven. And I've thought a lot about that thing that I would say to that woman. And I wouldn't probably say anything that I personally could come up with, but as I reflected on this text in Romans, I realized that I would want this individual many years ago in this classroom to hear these words of Paul. I would want her to hear all of Romans, but especially these words in Romans chapter 5. And the reason why is because Paul helps us to see something critical about the God that we meet in Jesus Christ. Because what he wants the hearers then and the hearers now to see is not just something that they have done, but also what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. The passage that we read just a few minutes ago begins with this beautiful series of statements about this new reality that people can experience in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church at Rome about these amazing promises of God. We are in right relationship with God because of the faithfulness of God. We are in a new realm of existence, this room and space called grace, where we are now free. We're in a place of sharing in the glorious presence of God through the Holy Spirit. We're in a place where even in our struggles, they are redefined in light of the cross. And though we may skip over it, Paul wants us as well to see the fullness of these promises. Because throughout the passage, he speaks of salvation in a way that covers past, present, and future. Every tense of our lives, Paul says, is impacted because of this new reality in Christ. Our past has been made right with God. The relationship's been changed. Our future will be glorious with God. We will share and dwell in the presence of God. And our right now is also different. There is this new realm of grace as a here and now reality. And while we may be tempted to just stop there and focus on the benefits and blessings of Jesus, we need to keep reading because central for Paul is not just that we see the what of our new reality, but Paul also wants us to see the why. Why is this life even possible? And in order to answer that question, Paul has one answer. Because of who God is in Jesus. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see the love of God for all of us. Love that reaches out to us when we are at our worst. Now, that's the real punch of our passage. That's the real shock of the storyline. The scandal of the story of God and Jesus is not just what God did for us, but when God did it. 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A couple years ago, I was at a conference, and the conference was called Nurture. And it's a conference that focuses on spiritual formation. And this particular year that I attended, there was a speaker there who spoke about Jesus in ways that I found refreshing and convicting. And one of the convicting things he said happened in a session where he was talking about Jesus and he was talking about congregations and church leaders and how they often talk about Jesus. And to make this point, he drew out this contrast that I found convicting. He said that too often, on the one hand, many people are tempted to preach a quote-unquote Jesus from above theology. In other words, it is a kind of Jesus plus theology, Jesus plus good behavior, Jesus plus believe what we believe, Jesus plus get your act together, Jesus plus clean yourself up first. In other words, by doing more, God will love us more. We kind of have to climb a ladder, so to speak, to get up to this Jesus from above. Perform, behave, and then you might eventually reach Jesus. But on the other hand, what this speaker advocated for was what he called, and I quote, a Jesus from below theology. In other words... He was calling those attending this conference to see and to preach a Jesus that meets us right where we are, no matter where we are. That we don't have to add anything, perform anymore, clean up before Jesus will come to meet us. We don't have to believe everything right before Jesus will come to make things right. Jesus will show up to us even when we find ourselves in a gutter. In fact, that was one of the other phrases that he used. He talked about a gutter theology. He talked about where we need this view of God and of Jesus that believes that God will show up in our lives even when we might be face down in a gutter, be that literally or figuratively. Gutter theology gives us a picture of of God in Jesus that meets us at our worst. When we don't have it together, when we're not sure what to do, even when we sin. Gutter theology gets at what Paul is helping us to see today, I believe, about God, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love shows up in the person of Jesus when we're consumed with sin. God's love shows up in the person of Jesus when we're living out of sync with God's purposes. God's love shows up in the person of Jesus even when we are acting like complete strangers to God. And the reason why I want us to see this first in this series that we're talking about and reflecting on sin is because I believe it's critically important for us to start any conversation about sin with a conversation about God. I think before we can talk about sin, we need to talk about God. 
What is the nature of this God in whom we believe and proclaim? What is the nature of this God who shows up to us in the person of Jesus Christ? And what Paul reminds us of is that even when, even while we were caught in the throes of sin, that is at the very moment, that is at the very time when God shows up to us with love and grace and mercy. What God does for us is amazing. This new reality that God creates for us is this beautiful landscape for us to live and exist in. And it's crucial to note when God decides to do that for us. God decides to do that in Jesus Christ while we were in our darkest moment, when we had our face down in the gutter. It's in that very moment, in that very place, where we meet a God who reaches out to us in love. And that's why I think we need to start a conversation about sin with a conversation about God. Because Paul will later go on to say, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ Jesus. We can talk about sin because we know that there is no sin that is too great to separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ Jesus. We can talk about sin. We can confess sin. We can name the places where we stray and wander and erode our relationships. We can name those things boldly because we believe in a God who is gracious to us even when we are at our worst. This is the picture of God that I would want to us to see today because I have a feeling that what that woman said to me in that class many years ago is not the only person who would say that. They're not the only person. She's not the only person who struggles to see a God who will forgive them no matter what. I think for a lot of reasons, some of us might struggle to see this God of love that appears to us in Jesus Christ. Now, for many of us, we might struggle to see God's love because of suffering and struggles that we face. Somewhere along the way, we were presented a view of God that made God out to be like the friend who's with us when things are good, but at the first sign of trouble, they leave us alone. And when we have this view of God, then we begin to believe that God is only with us when life is good. And so if we ever have any struggle or suffering, then we begin to wonder if God really loves us. But Paul never says that God's love removes our struggles. But he does say that God's love reframes our struggles. Because the God we see in Jesus is a God who enters into our suffering and struggling. The cross of Jesus shows us that God's love is present to us even when we're struggling with sin. The cross reminds us that there is nothing too difficult or painful where God is not willing to enter into it with us, even 
When we face suffering and struggles, the love of God will meet us there. For some of us, we might struggle to see God's love because we keep seeing the wrath of God. Now, somewhere along the way, we were presented a view of God that made God out to look more like a vain-popping preacher who seems to almost enjoy yelling about the wrath of God, maybe like that preacher that that woman alluded to in that class. And when we have this view of God, we begin to believe that God is primarily angry at us and that God even might like being angry at us, almost if he's out to get us. But Paul never says that God is out to get us. Paul says that God is out to rescue us because the God we see in Jesus is the God of the new Exodus, delivering people from the slavery of sin and death. God's wrath is not so much directed at sinners as it is at sin and death, capital S, capital D, holding us captive. In Jesus, we see the God that's not out to get us, but who is out to rescue us. Moreover, in Jesus, we see that the wrath of God is more related to God's sorrow than anything else. One of the best, best definitions of wrath that, that I've come across is simply this. God's settled and sorrowful opposition. God's settled and sorrowful opposition. In Jesus, we see that there are things that break God's heart to the point that he will weep over a city that rejects him. A city that rejects God, bringing them closer to him in relationship. And that ultimate goal of restorative relationship with God and neighbor and the world must be the larger context for any emotion that we see God demonstrate. Still, for many of us, we struggle to see God's love because we think that God is just tolerating us. Somewhere along the way, we were presented a God who's kind of like an irritated parent rolling their eyes at their kid who just cannot get it together. When we have this view of God, then we believe God helps out of obligation. And we're not even sure if God loves us, much less likes us, but that image misses the language of Paul in our passage and throughout this letter. In Jesus, Paul shows us a God who lovingly pursues and reaches out for us when we are at our lowest. In Jesus, Paul says that we are able to participate in the Holy Spirit of God in the deepest parts of our life. This is a God who desires to share in relationship with us at the deepest levels of our being. In Jesus, God is not just tolerating us. God is actually deeply present to us because of his love. This is the image of God in Jesus that we're called to see. Not a God who's absent because we struggle, but through the cross of Jesus, God is present to us. Not a God who is out to get us, but through the new exodus of Jesus, God is out to rescue us. Not a God who is just tolerating us, but through the Holy Spirit, God's love dwells in us. This is the God that we meet in Jesus Christ. A God who loves us at our worst. A God who loves us even when we may not even be able to find love for ourselves. And that is one of the things that we should keep in mind 
as we talk about the language of sin and talk about the reality of sin in our life and in our world, so often we have conversations around this topic and theme from a human point of view. We can only imagine these categories and these capacities of God from what we are able to live and experience. And I think we have these moments where we experience deep love for spouses and children and for other people. And in those moments, I think we catch tiny glimpses of the God who loves us deeply in Christ Jesus, even when we stray, even when we sin. But even those glimpses still do not fully grasp how deep and wide God's love is for us. That those small moments where we catch a glimpse of love within ourselves or within another, it's like we're seeing one small patch on this massive, glorious quilt of grace. God's love is always greater and bigger and wider than we could ever imagine. And if we're going to talk about grace, then we need to talk about sin. In her book, Speaking of Salvation, Barbara Brown Taylor has a wonderful quote where she makes the case for recovering and keeping the language of sin in our Christian communities. She writes this, Abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, deformation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language will simply leave us speechless before them and increase our denial of their presence in our lives. Ironically, it will also weaken the language of grace, since the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. I want to read that last sentence again. Ironically, it, losing the language of sin specifically, it will also weaken the language of grace, since the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. Taylor reminds us that keeping the language of grace in our communities means keeping the language of sin. We can name the ways in which we have rebelled, in which we have missed the mark, in which we have strayed and eroded ourselves and others. We can name those things because we have the conviction that the grace of God is still great and will reach out to us even at our worst. We don't have to be afraid to to talk about sin. In fact, God allows us to confess our sin so that we can receive the glorious grace that we find in Jesus Christ so that we can walk new lives, so that we can go down a path that's righteous and virtuous and a life of flourishing. 
Sin is not the final word. Therefore, we can speak words about sin because we know that the final word in Jesus Christ is love, grace, and forgiveness. We can be open and speak honestly about the reality of sin in our world and in our lives because we know that even when we are in the depths of sin, we can receive grace. We can receive forgiveness. And that, that freedom allows us to live such a different, better life with God and with others. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to do bad things. These are things we constantly struggle with as humans. And us as Christians, we can be brutally honest about those moments and those times and those places because we know, we know the truth of these words of Paul that God will still demonstrate his love for us even in those moments. This week, know that you can name sin. You can call it for what it is in your life because you also can name the conviction and the truth that Paul gives to us today that even in those moments, God still reaches out with a gracious, loving hand. Amen.